How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this episode of the 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman, and the topic for today uh, has a mouthful of a uh, of a title. Uh, the title of today's episode is "Moving to an Agile, Digitally Transformed Strategic Enterprise." And I believe I found every hyped word that you could possibly find about the world that we're into right now on the internet. Uh, that's there. Uh, and some of it is serious, of course, that's there. But much has been discussed about this particular topic. And each one of these words has a history, um, you know, that you know that's out there. And there's all sorts of other phrases that we're using. And a lot of people are very excited about these phrases. And a lot of people out there are, frankly, a little nervous about it because they don't know what the difference is between what they were doing yesterday and what they're doing today. And one of the issues we have, and as, as all of you know, I'm in the consulting world, is that a lot of consultants feel that they have to come up with new concepts or else they won't get paid. It's sort of like Congress. Congress is sort of measured by the number of laws that they make. I don't know if that's a good measure or not, but just because you're passing a law doesn't mean you're making improvements. It means that you're passing a law. So uh, it depends on what your measurement is, uh, you know, that's out there. To me, what we're trying to do is, with all of these phrases, is to better enable the enterprise or business strategy. And we've been trying to do that since the first day, essentially, mechanization or computers, you know, have been around. So let's take a look at these words for uh, uh, just a moment. The word agile. Uh, the word agile in, in, in most terminologies today in enterprises has some relationship, wrongly in my opinion, to the way computer systems are built. And you'll hear the concept of agile programming. And in the olden days, in the good old days, um, most people did what was referred to as waterfalls. And so people throw different phrases out there. And the waterfall concept had essentially the... the uh, uh, the background of being long and laborious and time-consuming, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now, some of you, of course, you can't see me uh, on, on the radio, but if some of you have looked uh, at my profile or picture on the Internet, and I apologize for that because my face has been uh, uh, made for radio and not for television, uh, basically you see that my hair that's left is gray. So I've been around this this area for, for quite some time. And... Unfortunately, the word agile uh, has been replaced uh, by what we used to do in the olden days, which was essentially engineered and methodical, which is very different. In other words, right now, the concept is code and go, code and go, code and go, build more software, build more, more software, you the client, I the client. The phrases are nerve wracking. How many different messages do you get on a weekly or monthly basis to download new somethings out there. And we put these very cute little phrases out there. We're going we need to tweak things. We need to tweak things. A better word than the word tweak is we did it wrong. We have to fix it. We have to fix it. We have to fix it. 
That's really what we're talking about. So the word agile is trying to do things quickly, frankly, to the detriment of you and I and to the betterment or the benefit of the hackers that are out there. They're having a great time because the more code we write quickly, the better the hackers have a chance to getting in there because a lot of the traditional approaches to requirements definition and testing and essentially putting together an architecture that you implement to are gone by the wayside. It used to be called analysis paralysis. The next phrase, digitally or digital. For gosh sake, what have we been doing since the invention of the computer? We've been taking manual things that we've been doing and putting them on the computer. Uh, I guess the word digital is different than the word computer. I don't really know. Transformed. Transformed to what? Digitally transformed. Magically and mystically. Put this in this cauldron and voila, something is going to happen. I think what people are saying with the phrase digital transformation or digitally transformed is applying more technologies to the things that are out there. And if you look at the Internet, of course, as we all know, one of the great things about the Internet is anybody can write anything about anything. And one of the problems with the Internet is anybody can write anything about anything. And the other thing we have to recognize about the Internet is the following, and this is massively important. What's published on the internet is published practices. Published practices. Best practices are not free. Just think about this for a moment. Best practices are not free. True intellectual property, competitive advantage cost money. Now, if you don't believe that, why don't you go to your local Apple store and say, hey, why don't you give me one of those iPhones? Well, what do you mean? Give it to Well, yeah, it's, 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 don't worry about it. It's the same as intellectual property. Just give me one of those. It's free, right? No, it's not. It costs money. The question that we have to ask ourselves is why do we believe that competitive best practices would be free and published? They're not. It's the recognition that intellectual property, come true competitive advantage, is going to cost you money, and it's not published on the Internet. Now, if you don't believe that, think about this in your own organization. If you do have a best practice, would you allow someone to come in there and say, hey, uh, I'm the XYZ consulting firm from wherever I am. Um, uh, you know, I know we've developed this for you, but uh, it's, quote, ours, and we're just going to use it at other clients. Any questions about that? You'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Or conversely, by the way, we got this best practice from uh, uh, the company down the road there, one of the Fortune 50 companies. Well, we're just going to lose. Just, just don't tell them about it. Don't worry about it. Nonsense. Uh, intellectual property is what we're talking about. So what we're trying to do here essentially is to enable the enterprise to meet its objectives, both tactical and strategic as efficiently and effectively as possible. That's what we're trying to do with all these crazy words out there. And unfortunately for you and I, most of what we see is steeped in what we refer to as maturity level one technological approaches, which are hand crafting things, hand crafting things. And we'll get into that in, in just a moment. This is a maturity level one. In order to become 
an agile, transformed enterprise, we have to get to maturity level three. And we'll discuss that in just a moment. And when you see this, you'll see that most of what you and I do in a day-in and day-out basis in other disciplines, whether it's the restaurant business, whether it's the grocery store business, whether it's the clothing store business, whether it's Home Depot or Lowe's or Costco or all these other things or Amazon or any of these other organizations are using level three approaches. Yet when it comes to technology, we're stuck in level one. And that's because of the fear that most technological people have, they're facing this for the first time, is essentially obsolescence of the skills that they have. And that's frightening to anybody. It doesn't matter what what you're into right now. But if we look outside of technology for just a moment, just for a moment, you'll see that history has demonstrated that two actions are required to provide in the physical world, product agility in the manufacturing space. In other words, to be truly up and be current and be able to compete in the physical world, there's two requirements that are there. So decades ago, decades ago, we asked ourselves this question. Do these proven approaches apply to businesses and enterprises? In other words, we have hundreds of years, let me repeat, hundreds of years of understanding how to really affect organizational activities and product development in the physical world. Can we apply those techniques in the technology world? Because what, you know, well, what is a system or what is an application or what is an app on your phone? It's a product, but it's different. It's different than slinging code. And I'll tell you right now, it's very aggravating for me to see these hype meisters out there push coding, even to our children. Hey, we got to teach them how to code. No, we don't need to teach them how to code. That's a maturity level one. It's a maturity level one. And that's what we have to get away from. But again, the issue is we have this embedded culture that says we got to hold on to the status quo. The other thing we have to recognize is how do you and I understand these things as we move forward? In other words, how do we understand things that are getting more and more complex? Well, you know what? You and I cannot understand things that are in a thousand pages of text. And by the way, you can't understand things, and I can't understand things at least, in 150 pages of text or even 15 pages of text. And that's what we keep doing, writing more and more and more text. Of course, we hide it in beautifully leather-bound binders and have these beautiful gold printing on it. Hey, look at this strategic document or this requirements definition or these specifications. Once again, level one, maturity level approaches. Human beings cannot understand complexity in that format. And in the physical world, we figured out what it is. Again, adapting what we found in the physical world when it comes to complexity and essentially moving it into the enterprise world is what we're talking about. We've got to get away from those types of things that we've seen out there. Now, before we get into that particular topic, I do want to bring into your attention some of the things that I found 
that I found absolutely amazing um, that's out there. And I have to admit, I want to make it clear to our, to our audience here. Yes, I use the Internet. Yes, I use uh, smartphones. Yes, I use all these things. But I do have essentially a very important test that I use all the time. And I call it the hmm test. Hmm. And that's spelled H-M. <laughs> and boy, am I getting more hmm about these things out there. And, and the problem is I don't even know what to listen to anymore. And for those of you that are listening to this broadcast, you may think that I'm a hypemeister too. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard for all of us. But this one really struck me. I've always had a, a little bit of a weight problem, whether I like it or not. And I do like to exercise, but I think I do like to eat a little bit more than the exercise, uh, you know, that's there. And so, of course, I ran across this article. I said, oh, my gosh, here we go again. The title of the article is as follows. Social media influencers give bad diet and fitness advice eight times out of nine researchers reveal. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's not one out of nine. It's eight out of nine, you know, that's out there. And they always have these beautiful people, these transformed, I don't know if they're digitally transformed or not, people that are out there that have essentially demonstrated if you do this one thing, uh, all your problems in the world are going to go away and you'll never have to work and think again in your life. Just take this pill or whatever it is or eat this particular thing, whatever it is, or don't eat this particular thing, um, you know, and uh, it'll, it'll be out there. And a lot of the information that I'm getting lately, because I'm getting a little bit jaundiced on, on the on the U.S. media, whether I like it or not, I do look at lots of different things. And uh, as a personal note, uh, in the mornings, I read two newspapers. By the way, whether they're digital or, or, or physical, uh, one is the Financial Times out of the U.K. and the other is the Wall Street Journal. And I take the information on those two media and I divide by two and I hopefully, you know, you know find, the, find the truth that's out there or something that's there. And I have a confidence that if both of these media have the same type of information or the same type of conclusion, I got a pretty good chance <laughs> that I'm going to find the correctness, you know, that's uh, out there. This particular study was done by the University of Glasgow, um, and uh, they were looking essentially at all these claims in uh, the people that are essentially uh, in, uh, in, in the UK. And as I said, they found essentially these massive, massive types of issues, um, you know, that are out there. Not only weren't these people certified, if you want to use that phrase, by some you know, health institution, but they were essentially, it was a popularity contest. And of course, that's the issue with the internet. And it doesn't matter what the, uh, what the uh, search engine that you're using, that's, that's not a correct name for the way that we do things on the internet. They're actually not search engines, and that's one of the underlying issues with the level one maturity we have in technology. What you and I use to find information on the internet is should better be called a popularity contest engine. In other words, the things that you and I see and the order that we see them in are either essentially, as we're finding today, unfortunately, manipulated by somebody or are based on essentially the popularity out there. And once again, we come up with these uh, manipulations that are out there. And uh, you have a situation that, uh, you know, as I said, when it comes to these types of things, there's actually that's the destructive power of the internet. The internet has good things and of course can do very good things with it. But on the, on the other side, of course, you can also have bad things. And all of this, in my opinion, is due to the lack of maturity that we have 
in how we do things. And with the number of hacks that are out there and continuing, and the evildoers are having just such such a great time, again, we've got to move this, this maturity level up. And of course, you may say that the people that are putting out the false information out there may believe it's true, you know, that's out there. And, and, and so we have to defend their rights. Well, this is essentially an issue that we have, and we're seeing a lot of this in the press right now. Uh, what is right and what is wrong? And, and what's the test of that particular thing? And what's the consequences of essentially misinformation or bad information that's out there? Once again, all of this has to do, in my opinion, with the concepts underlying all of what we're talking about here, and that's the immaturity, the immaturity of building systems that are digitized and the ease of which that particular maturity allows evildoers to essentially do their work. So you've been listening to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to get into what we suggest will allow us to address some of the issues that we're seeing. So we'll see you back here in just a couple of minutes. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the other side. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. I'm Sam Holzman, and today's topic uh, has a, a huge title, as I mentioned before, it's moving to an agile, digitally transformed strategic enterprise. I also have a bridge I can sell you later on, too. I'm just joking about the bridge. I hope when we get through our broadcast today, you'll believe that there is some method to the madness that I'm chatting about today. It is fundamental. And ladies and gentlemen, in your enterprises, in your business, we have to collectively work with the technologists in the business to get this recognition. And it has to do with moving into the information age. We are in the information age. And in a previous broadcast, I went into quite a bit of detail in discussing with you our movement from the industrial age through the internet age into the information age. 
And in the information age, the game has changed once again. And of course, we can trace this back to the nomadic age, the agricultural age, the mercantile age. And then, as I mentioned in a a previous broadcast, I gave you a lot of detail on the last two ages we're going on through and the one that we're going into now, which is essentially the industrial age, getting out of that into the internet age. We're leaving the internet age and going into the information age. And historically, every one of these paradigm shifts, and these are real paradigm shifts, is 40 to 70 years. 40 to 70 years. Not four to seven minutes, but 40 to 70 years is what we're talking about. And each one of these, each one of these movements is a change, is a change. And when we first started looking at this concept back in the early 70s, yes, the early 70s, let the sunshine in, kumbaya, okay, in the early 70s, we started noticing a pattern here and was about change. There's these changes that are going on. So we said, you know what, let us just move away just for a moment from the concepts of technology and business and study change. Let's take a look at how change has actually occurred in the physical world, in the non-physical world, if I can use that phrase, in enterprises, in business, in transform transformations, in humans, in thought processes, in governments. Change. Change is all around us. And what the internet has done is essentially taken a couple of these dimensions and taking them, taking them down to about zero. And then those two dimensions are distance and time, distance and time. So the internet has moved those two equations almost to zero. Now with that comes benefits and of course, trepidation in some people's parts or a different approach you know, that's out there. And we see this all the time. Com- you know, the competitiveness, um, you know, is, is, is incredible. In the good old days, we had essentially, what, three networks on television, ABC, CBS, and NBC. Um, and um, since I was from the Detroit area, we had the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, across the uh, the pond there in, in Detroit River and uh, Windsor. And that was a Canadian Broadcasting Company. And that was about it. Now there are hundreds of essentially outlets for video-based activities. Please notice the word I use, not just television, but of course the internet and everything else that's out there in the, uh, in the spheres that you and I uh, you know, deal with on a day-in and day-out basis. And so with that comes choice, with that comes change, with that comes competitiveness, and with that comes this belief, which is correct, that we gotta get stuff out there quicker. But that doesn't mean that we need to get stuff out there poorly. That's the difference. And that's the change that we have to recognize. Because when it comes to enabling business strategy in technology, we are still, as as I said, in maturity level one. So let's step back for a moment and take a look at changing something, changing anything. Again, we went out and studied change. And to our shock and amazement, we found that there are three ways to change a physical object. We thought there'd be hundreds or a lot, whatever the word a lot means, but tons of stuff that's out there as far as that goes. And fundamentally, we found there are three ways to change a physical object. So once again, 
our thought processes, our theories at that time, were if we can figure out how this is done in the physical world, can we apply some of those lessons learned to the business and the underlying technology world that's out there? So that was our theory, and it turns out it's a pretty good theory, it turned out, after decades of, of looking at this. So coming back to this, some of this may sound a little silly, and I do try to bring a little humor into this, um, is that one of the ways that we can change something is go for it and see what happens. <laughs> go for it and see what happens. Now, of course, you know that there's a risk you know, to doing that, but there's a reward, which is speed. So a number of years ago, uh, my daughter and uh, her husband uh, were living in Chicago, and I get this nice little call, and uh, usually uh, uh, when the call starts off with dad, it usually suggests something. And uh, one of the great things now, I must say, for our children is uh, it's not usually dad, can I have some money? <laughs> it's dad, can you do me a favor? And, or can you help me out here? Or give me some advice. And it's really kind of heartwarming when that happens. So my daughter and, and, and her husband moved into this really nice little flat in Chicago and uh, one day they decided to spruce up the kitchen a little bit, and they put this white subway tile around the, the uh, uh, sink area and the counter area in their kitchen. It was beautiful. It was really, really nice. They had somebody come in and do the work and really looked nice. And the call was about the following. Well, within this new area in the kitchen, there are a number of electrical plugs. And those electrical plugs were the old beige color. There was nothing wrong with them, but it was startling when you looked at this beautiful white uh, tile, your eye almost immediately went to these beige outlets. It was kind of distracting uh, to your eye. Again, there was nothing physically wrong. So my daughter asked me uh, if, if uh, next time I'm in town, if uh, you know I could essentially replace those for her. And, of course, it's because I'm a master degree electrical engineer. No, it's not because of my, my education in, in, in the university, but it's, I'm pretty handy when it comes to these things. So we're in Chicago. Um, I go to the local store, buy some electrical plugs. Uh, I'm pretty good at, at doing this stuff. Uh, and I get to the kitchen, and all of you know what's the first thing that you should do, of course, when you're around electricity. Shut the circuit breakers off. Of course, but please remember the segment that we're in right now. Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. And of course, the circuit breakers were a whole 17 feet away from me, it turns out. I'm not going to go over there and waste all that time. I got to get the I got to get the strategic activities. I got to get the code out the door. I got to get the product out the door. We'll worry about it later. We don't have the time for analysis and paralysis and planning and all this other stuff. I'm just going to go for it. What's the possible unintended consequences that I can come up with? And, of course, you can think about what that is. Well, lo and behold, of course, I go and take the plate off uh, that holds the electrical plug. So far, so good, right? And then I'm, try I'm uh, taking out the two screws that are actually holding the plug in there. And all of a sudden, there's this thought that comes over my mind. I'm looking and saying, wait a minute here. These electrical plugs, this is Chicago, this isn't Detroit. It looks like they have a different electrical code here. All of the electrical bo uh, code, the boxes here are made out of metal. Get it? Made out of metal. <laughs> I got a sort of, uh, the, the versus plastic in Detroit, which is fine, and you know, that's there. 
And of course, you probably know what happened. All right, as I'm wiggling this plug out, um, the hot side of the plug hits the uh, uh, essentially the uh, casing for uh, the plug itself, you know, the box. And you know, my daughter looks at me, yeah, okay, but I told you I didn't have to turn off the circuit breaker and waste all that time. Now, of course, that's the go-for-it approach. And I'm giving you, obviously, a little silly example on purpose. High risk, low reliability, change by trial and error. That's what we have to recognize. High risk in the real world, low reliability, change by trial and error. That's one approach to change. Remember, there's only three. The second approach to change is throw it away and start all over again. Throw it away and start all over again. Now, what is that phrase in the physical world sometimes called? Well, in business, it's called bankruptcy. Fascinating, huh? Or restructuring, whatever you want to call it. Again, as I mentioned before, I'm from the Detroit area. General Motors went bankrupt. Anybody remember the famous phrase Roger Smith made a few decades ago? As GM goes, so goes the country. And then, of course, the city of Detroit went bankrupt. What does that mean to go bankrupt, a city to go bankrupt? Or General Motors. And, of course, you know the politics behind this. I don't have to get into this in this broadcast. It's a mess. And, by the way, you and I still own part of GM, the old GM, that's out there. And they seem to be recovering, I think, uh, you know, and watching there. There's new strategies and things like that. But approach number two is throw it away and start all over again. Now, there's a couple of reasons for it. One of them is everything has a useful life. We have to recognize that. Everything has a useful life. It doesn't matter what it is. Unfortunately, including me, I hope it's not done yet, but everything has a useful life. And sometimes we have to essentially gauge what the cost of extending that useful life is versus essentially throwing away and start all over again. And of course, the other thing we can do is scrap it. As I said, it's just, again, it's not, it's not appropriate to change it anymore. And of course, the last thing that we can possibly do is say, you know what, we're not going to change it. Don't change it. Don't touch it. If you touch it one more time, it's going to break. We can't. And we see that all the time, especially for those of you that are in technology. I'm going to throw just a phrase out here for some of your technology folks. We encapsulate the software, encapsulate the code. (laughs) It's sort of like putting a duct tape around everything. Don't touch this. And we know what happens with duct tape over time. It gets frail and, you know, and, and sticky and stuff like that. And we can't take it back apart again. It's a mess. So the first approach to change is go for it and see what happens. The second approach to change is to throw it away and start all over again. So far, things aren't really pleasant out there. But of course, there's a third approach to change when it comes to physical items. And that is the most sophisticated approach to change. And that is reverse engineer it and then change it. Reverse engineer it, and then change it. Well, what does that word mean? Well, let's move the word reverse off to the side for just a moment. The second word is what's most important. And that was it, whatever you're trying to change, has actually been engineered. And if something has been engineered, you can possibly Reverse engineer it. You can possibly reverse engineer it. 
And in most activities that you and I deal with on a day-in and day-out basis, the things have been engineered so there's a possibility of reverse engineering it. So let's look at your, if, you know, at your home for a moment. If you have a home, there's discipline, engineering discipline and regulations and standards. I, that word standards, oh my gosh. You're, you're messing up my creativity if I have standards. Give me a break. Even artists have standards, the Pantone color scheme. They can talk to each other so they can understand what's going on. It's not an inhibitor to creativity. It's an enabler of creativity. That's what we sort of have wrong there. But let's keep going at, you know, in, in, in this particular area as far as reverse engineering. We know that most homes, at least in the U.S., have wall supports, wall studs, in other words, supporting structures, 16 inches apart. And that's a standard. So if we want to hang a picture, we want to hang a, a shelf, we have different mechanisms that we can use. And once we find one of those support elements, we have a high degree of confidence that 16 inches on either side of that is going to be another support structure. I'm just giving you one example of, of what that is. And so when we have those, underlying that is another very vital thing, which is a blueprint or some kind of a graphical representation, graphical representation of what we built, we call it as built, so that when we want to change it, we can change the drawings before we start messing with the physical object. What a concept. It's so basic. But none of this fits on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, what we have to recognize. If any of you have, the, have had the pleasure, privilege, or frustration in building a house, you know that there's not one drawing that gives us the understanding, the blueprint of the house. We have the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning drawing. We have the plumbing drawing. We have the electrical drawing. We have the structural drawings. We have various components and, and because something as simple as a house takes multiple sets of drawings to understand it, same thing for business and enterprise. There isn't going to be one eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, whether it's electronic or not, that's going to give us that information. It's lunacy. So we sometimes hear, well, I just need a high level of detail. I don't even know what that word, that phrase means. High level of detail. I, I have no idea. <laughs> So in order to reverse engineer something, we need a baseline for addressing and managing that change. A baseline for addressing and managing that change that is human consumable. Human consumable in today's contemporary world in less than 90 seconds. Let me say that again. Human consumable in less than 90 seconds. This is what we need to do as essentially understanding the changes in our enterprise. And yes, there are ways to do this. This is not mystery. This is not magical. This is not hype. Hundreds of years of history have shown us that this is the way to approach change extremely rapidly. When do you need these things? When something is simple? No. When something is complex so we, don't un so we, we avoid unintended consequences. That's the whole purpose of this. I'm sick and tired of essentially tweaks. I'm sick and tired of hacks. 
I'm sick and tired of the following phrase, I'm sorry. That's what we hear nowadays. Well, I'm sorry. It's deliberate. Actions are deliberate. Writing a piece of code to hack somebody's email is deliberate. I don't care if you say I'm sorry or not. Grabbing somebody's email and then saying, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. It's a deliberate action. Somebody has to do that. And we need to recognize that these people need to be penalized for this. And in order for us to be able to check what they're doing, we have to have a baseline for addressing and managing this. And that's essentially a set of blueprints. So how do we do this? Reverse engineer it. You recreate or find the drawings. You change the drawings. And then you change the physical object. Recreate or find the drawings. Change the drawings. And change the physical object. And we can do that in our enterprises. How do you do that for a building? How do you do that for an airplane? How do you do that for a personal computer? How do you do that for a system? Or how do you do that for an enterprise? Same concepts. This is Sam Holzman, 2020's Enterprise. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes, and we'll discuss how we actually get there. Thank you. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. This is our last segment, and we're discussing a mouthful of a title for this particular episode. It's Moving to an Agile, Digitally Transformed Strategic Enterprise. The concepts of change being sped up and how do we address it from a business, technology, and strategy perspective. In our previous uh, segment, I talked about the ways to change things. Essentially, go for it and see what happens. A little bit silly, but it's a way to approach things if we don't have any baseline for addressing and managing change. Throw it away and start all over again, which is sometimes referred to as bankruptcy or dissolving the enterprise or resizing or right-sizing or downsizing or re-whatever you want to call it, re-something. And then, of course, the approach to change that has been proven 
for hundreds, if not thousands of years, reverse engineer and change it. And in order to do that, it requires the concept of a baseline for addressing and managing change that is human consumable. And throughout history, we've seen that you and I as human beings have strengths and we have limitations. And one of the limitations we have is that you and I cannot understand complexity in a thousand pages of text or a hundred pages of text or even 50 pages of text or possibly even 15 pages of text. And we need a different approach to that. And I gave you an example of that in the physical world, which is the concept of a blueprint essentially for building a house or a building. And within these concepts, we also have to recognize in the contemporary world right now in, we have to understand that we're talking about human consumability and there's another caveat, anything that we're showing a business person when it comes to changing in this digitally transformed enterprise needs to be able to be understood in less than 15, uh, excuse me, the 90 seconds. Oh boy, 15 seconds is coming up. Uh, I don't think that's 15 seconds. Maybe we can do that one day, but 90 seconds is now something that we have to recognize. It's a human condition. We can argue about it. We can scream about it. We can moan and groan about it, but it needs to be understood. It's a human condition. We can do it, by the way, but we have to think about essentially a higher level of maturity. So continuing on here, how do we do this in an enterprise? Well, once again, I want to give you an analogy from the world of the physical world because it's been around and we can see things. Please remember that technology enablement, this whole digital stuff, is 40 or 50 years old. It's, an, it's a heartbeat in time as far as history goes out there. But we've been building complex project products out there, or somebody has been building products out there that are complex for a very long time. I mean, I had the privilege a number of years ago of going to uh, uh, Giza near Cairo, Egypt, and, and looking at the Great Pyramids. And I said, oh, my gosh, how'd they do this? It's, easy, it's either some massive, tremendously understood engineering or Martians or something. Some Somebody did something. <laughs> it was It's incredible. If you ever have the ability to go over there and see these things and just think about when they were built, how'd they do this? And I'm sure it wasn't go for it. <laughs> it couldn't be. There's some tremendous science, tremendous science there. And you know, one of the things that's kind of neat, coming back to our last segment, is you happen to be able to walk into one of the pyramids there, and the Antiquities Authority allows us to do that. Now are you to do that. And as you walk into the hallway, if you look over the left-hand side of the pyramid that I was allowed to, to see, what do you see on the left-hand wall? Sure looks like a set of, I'll use the phrase, hieroglyphic blueprints to show the various construction phases of these great pyramids that were there. There's a consistency because back then they had the same human restrictions. Maybe it wasn't 90 seconds of understanding, but it was a little bit longer. So transforming 7,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago to more contemporary, let's look at the physical world around you and I. And of course, one of the things that we see out there is stuff that's manufactured, built. And lo and behold, if we go out there and do a little digging, not in the business literature, not in the IT, information technology literature, but the manufacturing literature, you'll see something called the manufacturing maturity model. This is the key, manufacturing maturity model. 
And within the manufacturing maturity model are these three maturity levels that I've been talking to you about. It's called general manufacturing maturity phases. And it's, it's incredibly consistent in the various disciplines that we've looked at. And the first level of maturity is called make to order. Make to order. So let's take you back 120 years, plus or minus a few days. We're in Dearborn, Michigan. We walk up to Henry Ford and we say, Hank, build me a horseless carriage. And he says, no problem, Sam. Come back in six months. I'll have one for you. Now, of course, you know, I'm going to be exaggerating a little bit. So he calls his buddy Harvey Firestone. Oh, you can't call his buddy Harvey Firestone. Uh, the telephone hasn't been invented yet. So he telegraphs Harvey Firestone. He says, I need four tires. And Harvey tele- telegraphs him back. He says, no problem, Hank. I'll have those for you in a month or two. Now, once again, I'm exaggerating to make a point here. So Harvey goes out, plants some rubber seeds, whatever those things are, grows a rubber tree, knocks the rubber tree down, uh, um, uh, takes the uh, uh, rubber out of the rubber tree, puts it into a, builds a mold, puts it in the mold, makes four tires, ships them off to Dearborn, Michigan, and Hank has uh, four tires. Make to order. Make to order. And that's why it's going to take Mr. Ford six months to build a horseless carriage that's out there. Make to order. Now, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, this is the approach handcrafting. Make to order is handcrafting. I don't care if you're doing it quickly, agilely, waterfally. It's make to order. It's crafting. It doesn't, if you are using your hands for a period of time, I'm not saying it's bad. You didn't hear that word, but you have to recognize it's hand crafting. And at the speed of digitization in our enterprises, perhaps there needs to be a different way to do this. And we'll get to this in just a moment. The characteristics of hand crafting, make to order, are Long lead times, high costs, generally low reliability, unfortunately. Long lead times, high costs, generally low reliability, and of course, massively limited flexibility. It's not the speed of change that is causing your business a problem. It's that change is not essentially and a part of the equation in building your products and in modifying your products. You engineer for change. You engineer for reliability. You engineer for recyclability. You engineer for fuel economy. You engineer for safety. You engineer for environmental issues. It's an engineering design objective. It's not just a function of technology. And it sure isn't a function of handcrafting things quickly because you're still handcrafting. And for those of you in the technology world, the phrases that come to mind or should come to mind in maturity level one are requirements definitions, use cases, modeling notation, specifications. Those are all maturity level one considerations. Please remember, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm positioning what you and I are doing 
in the world of digital change and increasing orders of magnitude of competitiveness and change requirements. And make-to-order just can't keep up. Second level is called provide from stock. Let's go back to Mr. Ford once again. Remember the phrase that he said there? You can have any color of car that you want as long as it's black. And what he was referring to there was essentially commercial off-the-shelf products. And in the world of technology, they're called COTS packages, commercial off-the-shelf packages. Again, I want to stress to you, I'm not saying they're bad, but we have to recognize it's reduced cost, higher reliability, but limited flexibility. It's just limited flexibility. We have to recognize that. It's limited flexibility. And the other thing we have to recognize, if that package solution does not meet the requirements of your enterprise exactly, I'm going to say this carefully and slowly, your costs and your complexity are going to go up. And that's because you now have to deal with the prepackaged solution and the changes going on there. The customization that you're doing outside of that prepackaged solution and the interfacing between that. I'm not saying don't do it, but we've got to open up our eyes very wide and say, hey, that's why our budgets are not going down. That's why more and more dollars are being put to maintaining the status quo versus investing in strategic activities that we'd like to do. It's essentially physics. The more interfaces we have, the more expensive it's going to be. Maturity level two, provide from stock. And for those of you in the technology world, most of the things there are in commercial off-the-shelf packages. I want to stress once again, these are not critiques. These are not, oh my gosh, are you doing this? It's getting people to recognize where we are in the competitive environment that we're in and what we need to get there. Where do we want to go? It's what's called assemble to order. Assemble to order. Now, people have told us that the best example I can give in this area, and I don't know what that means. I'm just repeating what people have told us in, in, the, in the work that we've had the privilege to do with Fortune 1000 companies and government agencies, et cetera, et cetera, around the world. The best example I can give, they said, of, of this assemble-to-order concept is essentially a salad bar. Think about a salad bar for just a moment. We have uh, romaine lettuce, we have iceberg lettuce, we have tomatoes and radishes and chicken and garbanzo beans and peppers and, you know, (laughs) 16, it doesn't matter how many ingredients. I'm just picking the 16 out of the, the hat there for a moment. 16 elements, 16 elements. Each thing is unique. Nothing in combinations, 16 elements. How many different salads can we make? 23 million different combinations. Now that's agility. Now that's flexibility. And it turns out that this assemble to order concept is all around us. Walk into a restaurant, ladies and gentlemen. Assemble to order. You think the chef has every combination of dishes made ahead of time? Walk into a grocery store. It's organized to allow you to assemble to order. 
Here's the canned goods, and within the canned goods, you got the green beans, you got the you got the uh, uh, garbanzo beans, you got the uh, uh, corn, you got the uh, uh, whatever whatever those things are. You go into the dairy section; uh, they have the cheeses, and they have the milks, and they have the yogurts, etc. Go into Home Depot. Assemble to order. You've got the lumber department. You got the window department. You got the shingle department. Go into a clothing store. You've got shoes. You've got ties. And what you can do in each one of those is organize it how you believe the customer wants to consume it. Let's go back to the salad bar for a moment. There's no one way to meet the customer demand. We can order, organize our salad bar by protein content. Here's the high protein content, medium protein, low protein. We can order, organize our salad bar by carbohydrate content. We can organize our salad bar by weight. We can organize our salad bar a million different ways to meet the consumer demand. Assemble to order is the key. And we have to bring that discipline that I've just demonstrated to you is all around our lives to the world of enterprise and business. And that's what we have to do. It is not the speed of change that is causing your business an issue. It's the maturity level one techniques that most organizations are using to address that change issue. And in order to address it, we have to essentially assemble to order, not make to order, not provide from stock. And the vendors that are out there in those two maturity levels, of course, are a little bit uncomfortable right now. So on that happy note, I hope you get the concepts here of this very mature and doable approach to meeting essentially the strategic needs of your enterprise. And that will provide your organization with the agility that it needs to meet its strategic objectives in an organized manner as change becomes continuous. Thank you for listening. This is Sam Holzman. You've been listening to the 2020s Enterprise. Please reach out to me at sam at eacoe.org, sam at eacoe.org. I'd be more than happy to discuss this further. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.